to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Hey, Paul, how's your week been? I'm a little busy, but great. How about yourself? Good. I, uh, we're obviously in full gear for Ignite here at the minute, and... Uh, Starting to find out what's going to ship, what's not going to ship, what I'm going to be demoing in my session, what I'm not going to be demoing in my session. <laughs> Practicing your uh, hand puppets, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're making really good slides for a few things. Um, but, uh, no, it's been a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, no, no pressure, but I uh, I called you out in my blog post this week about upcoming speaking events and said, well, you and Yina are on stage, so there should be something new in the graph. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. We, uh, no, there's a, there's a bunch of new stuff that we're going to be talking about, which is really, I mean, some of it's just mind-blowing in terms of what we're going to be doing, so I'm, I'm excited about that. And um, yeah, sharing the stage with Yina as a team teammate, or well, she's my manager, but <laughs> in the same team. Um you know, it's going to be good. I, I jumped on uh, build with her in 2017 when we, when I was at Hyperfish to showcase what we'd be doing on the graph, but, um, you know, sharing the entire stage and, you know, planning all the timing of when we're, who's speaking when and trying to make sure that you don't speak at a million miles an hour and I don't speak super slow and that we somewhere meet in the middle. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm so looking forward to it myself. So a lot of news this week. Um, I know. It's yeah, great. Yeah. I, uh, I want to turn around a little, just do community first this week for because we just have the one item. And I just uh, want to point out the Global Office 365 Developer Bootcamp again. I know we posted and talked about it a few months ago, but they've ramped up. Uh, I saw a tweet from yourself, actually. They're, they're all over the world. So it certainly is an opportunity for folks to get connected. I'm happy to say I'm doing the one in Austin, Texas in October. And so uh, if you're in that area, I'd love to see you. Maybe I'll bring the gear Time. A cowboy hat? I am not going to wear a cowboy hat. Eric Schupps would boot me very far, even though he's not in Austin. If I tried to be a Texan, <laughs> I would be called out in a heartbeat. So I'm not going to do that. But um, it'd be great. I'm going to be talking about uh, Teams development myself. And uh, the afternoon will be about SharePoint framework stuff. So great opportunity to get, to get information. Yeah, they're, so. they're cool events. I think Susanna started those off uh, in marketing when she first came on board. And um, it's worked out really well. So if you're an MVP or... Um, you've got experience in kind of the Office 365 space and want to run one of these events, the marketing team actually help you to organize and give you all the, the bits and pieces you need to run the event. And um, some of the names that are kind of attending and presenting and helping as part of the boot camps, really great. So um, definitely check those out. There's so many of them now as well. They've really spun up quickly. Yeah. And, and you know, if you want to present or host one of these, the con- the training materials there as well, there's the training content repo that I know you were part of setting up, but the, the stuff that I'll be teaching and the hands-on lab I'll be leading is available to the whole world, either by yourself or to do it yourself. It's the, including slide decks. It's all right there. It's written by some guy who sort of kind of tinkers. So uh, it certainly is, uh, <laughs> is worthwhile. <laughs> That's gold. And then um, on that similar vein, there's a really cool hackathon, an open hack that Microsoft are running um, in New York. But it's not only just in New York. It's actually on on the USS Intrepid. So you will literally be sitting beside um, a bunch of spaceships that have been out of space. Um, I think the Blackbird is still there. 
there's a bunch of really cool things on that. I've been there for a tour, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a three-day event that will cover not just the graph and Office 365 and Teams, but it will cover functions, bots, the event grid, logic apps, a bunch more things. And um, the, there's two prizes of Xbox One X Project Scorpio editions, um, and there's a bunch of team hacking going on. Um, but the key with that open hack is there's going to be a bunch of experts there helping you to build what you're planning to build out. So if you're interested, it's in October. It's the second to the fourth in New York, so it's coming up in a few weeks. Um, but uh, I highly recommend going. There's going to be some really smart people there to help you hack away. Yeah, I think this might be the same hack that uh, Rich does right. Deserga. I'm sorry, Rich. Uh, Rich and I worked on uh, uh, not too long ago. Uh, it's really there's some great tech involved in that hackathon, so it's great. It, uh, I wish I could attend it. Uh, it's good stuff. Um, following on with uh, our, our Microsoft news, there obviously there's a little event coming up in about a week, and and there's a couple of blog posts that have come out. We'll link to uh, from the teams team and the SharePoint team about the sessions that they will be having at Ignite. And so I know from the team's perspective, it's like they they just want to. There's so much in the product that how do you know what session does what? So the idea here is this will give you a heads up of what sessions that might be relevant based on what exactly you want to learn. And, and the SharePoint team as well, covering what the, their dev platform is, as well as the PNP folks are doing. So there's a couple of great articles there to help you. If you're going to be at Ignite, we might want to review those either before you leave or on the plane just to help you plan your week out a little. Yeah, it's kind of prompted me that now probably I need to do that for the graph. We've, we've just built the slides that you know, we have at the back of every presentation that shows here's what else is on this week for the graph. But I'm just thinking maybe we need to do that as a blog post as well to help people out because there is a ton, ton of graph sessions now because, you know, the graph isn't just our calendar contacts files anymore. There's a lot of other products that are on there. And um, I'm really excited about some of these security APIs that are creeping on there and some of the Windows stuff that's creeping on too. So. Yeah, and, and the session catalog is just too overwhelming. So that I, I found I these two blog posts very helpful. There's so the, someone's going for the first time from our team and was asking for, you know, what's the best way to get value out of Ignite? And I was like, well, there's just so many different angles as a PM. But I think ultimately for us being on that booth and kept being in there to ask questions and um, to get feedback is, is the way I've learned the most as a PM. But, um, you know, as an attendee, so many options of sessions and tons of workshops to go do that there's a there's a ton of ways you can kind of get the most out of Ignite. Um, and then the other big announcement, and um, Dimitri Lylin, who I was in the same organization with him, but I never directly ever worked with him, but um, we've got lots of mutual friends, has been slammed um, getting this Azure DevOps uh, campaign up and running, which is essentially... A, uh, a rebranding of Visual Studio Team Services, Team Systems, VSTS. I don't even remember what that the, name the was. The online hosted version of VSTS. Right, of, okay. which was Team Foundation Server on-premises. Yeah. And also called VisualStudio.com. So at least that's how I always refer to it, but yeah. And so um, it's been rebranded as Azure, De Azure DevOps. And my take on that, if you read the blog post, is essentially to just let people know that, yes, I know Microsoft's acquired GitHub, but there is an absolute future there um, for that product. And Microsoft use it internally. We, we use it for all of our um, internal backlogs, issue tracking, 
Um, we are even just using it now. We ingest all Stack Overflow posts into VSTS. And um, we have internal discussions on those Stack Overflows before we go and reply and reassign the Stack Overflows and then do dashboards on on things. And I'll put my hand up and go, yep, we're in a really bad way at the moment in terms of not answering those things on Stack. And that's why we're getting a bit more rigor around it. So there's lots of ways that Azure DevOps can be used. But the one thing that I was really excited about from the announcements was some new features. The first being that if you've got an open source project in GitHub, you can now use these pipelines up to 10 um, to do processing on top of kind of uh, accepting PRs or uh, committing code into the repo that can do things like uh, go generate builds um, and then go publish it on NPN or, and, and things like that. And so I'm really excited about kind of the open source community aspect of kind of the, the pipelines side of GitHub as well. So um, there's a bunch of more integration there that they talk about in that blog post. So if you're a VSDS user, you would have already noticed when you log in that it says Azure DevOps in the top left, and you would have got the emails, uh, which now are Azure DevOps emails when you get any kind of issues assigned to you. So they kind of pushed the big button to get all this planned at one point. So um, yeah, Dimitri has been extremely busy for the last, I guess, six months planning all this stuff and getting it all lined up. So definitely go and check that out. Yeah, so we use it at Add in three six five. It certainly is helpful. Uh, the the bug tracking. My favorite though is those pipelines, as you mentioned. And one of the yeah. unsung uh, capabilities is you can get. Um, I'm drawing a blank, but you can basically host your own NuGet server or NuGet feed, if you will. And so I had always recommended to clients in the past that you should grab those NuGet packages that you don't want to change and put them in the private feed. And then have your builds pull from there, so you know you're always getting the, the library of code that you want. And yeah. and and the new updates with the pipelines let you push. You can do a new get push. So if you have your own private feed, you can write a library, create a new get package that you just host internally amongst your multiple projects. It's great stuff, and certainly worth taking a look at. It's one of those infrastructure type things. You don't really make money by build improving your build process, but it'll pay off in the long run, certainly. Um, another item I want to go back to a, a few months back, maybe uh, during the hack day at Microsoft, you come back and said you were excited about the people who won the Imagine Cup with this robotic arm. Well, they did an in-depth blog post about the team that built it and what it does. And so we'll put a link out there as well. So you can certainly see And I, I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but your description really didn't quite do it justice. They, no. they talk in great about detail about the idea and the, and the team behind it. And it's just uh, awesome work that they've been doing. And, and there's a lot of future, what they can do for it. So it's certainly worth reading if you have a little downtime. It's a little bit non-techy, but it's great to see how tech can help improve lives. And that's certainly worth reading about. Yeah, and then lastly, um, on a similar ilk of competitions, um, the marketing team for Microsoft 365 um, posted this on September 10th, so only a few days ago. There is a Office App Awards, um, <clears throat> and this one is the People Choice Award, where you can actually vote. Us PMs are busy voting on other different categories as part of that award, but um, there's a bunch of different apps in there. Um, that you can go vote on, whether it's things like um, iPlanner Pro or Nimble CRM Contact Insights or uh, a, a beloved favorite here of uh, Nintex Forms and Workflow because I have so many friends that work there in Australia and uh, in Redmond. And then Office at Work, I've got like four or five things submitted there 
One Place Mail, which uh, I love that team down there in Australia as well, who do some really cool things around Outlook email attachments with SharePoint and Teams. And I know they've got a bunch of announcements coming at Ignite as well. We've been working with them on. So um, it'd be great if you guys can engage on that People Choice Awards. Um, again, all these links are in the show notes because um, you know we truly want people that use those products to come and vote. Um, or if you you think it's a cool idea as well, then you know give that your people choice vote as well. Well, that's a full list of news. So uh, right. boom. The, boom, yeah. Our, our guest this week is Sean Squires. Uh, Sean's the man behind site designs and site scripts for SharePoint, and we had a great talk with him, including his sexy radio voice. That's going to make everyone else who does a podcast jealous, and uh, and certainly worth listening. Hope you find it helpful, and we look forward to chatting again next week. Cool. Thanks, dude. Have a good week. Okay, so we're uh, on Microsoft Teams again today with uh, Sean Squires in Redmond. I'm sitting in a different building in Redmond, and Paul's in nearly cold Chicago. We're not quite winter there yet, are we? Not quite. 50 degrees this morning, though. It's a nice, brisk uh, morning walk. Yeah, it was brisk in Seattle, too. How are you, Sean? How's things? Uh, I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, just uh, excited and gearing up for Ignite. Uh, we're, what, T-minus uh, 14 days here. So the team is uh, scrambling to just get all the bits in the right places and polish up the decks and get ready to fly out. Are you doing a... Are you doing a session on site designs, or there is a site design session, correct? At Ignite, there is. There's been a. It's the whole um, uh, journey of getting the sessions worked out this year has been sort of an amusing one. It's even got, you know, our uh, our manager Adam Harmitz, who I'm sure you guys and your listeners know. Uh, it's sort of just like, wow, what is going on? Because they they actually had most of the SharePoint schedule uh, sessions like all at the end of the week. Then they redistributed them, but then we ended up having to combine some of them. So uh, the net is I think we have a really nice story to kind of really clearly uh, help people um, with where their interest lies, whether it's an inner loop or outer loop, you know, those concepts that we introduced last year. And yes, so I've got a a session uh, with actually the director of design, Denise Trabona, who... um, uh, talked about branding last year because I actually uh, work on both branding and site design. So we have a joint session. Uh, I believe it's now Thursday afternoon. So BRK3090. So yeah. I always like CJ's description, um, you know, former manager at Microsoft and CTO when I was at Hyperfish where, you know, like just running into the building with our eyebrows on fire is basically the best expression of what it feels like <laughs> on the plane to ignite from Redmond uh, and just seeing everyone else around and going, yep, everyone else's eyebrows are on fire as well. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's. A, I think that's an app description. I, I I actually was like I said. I think I was feeling really good about where a lot of the code was and everything was at, and everything's looking really great. But uh, we always like to bring something a little extra to ignite, and so there's definitely a few. Uh, what's a good expression? More fragile pieces of code that will be uh, uh, will be showing off, and so we're excited to share. But it's always like with fingers and eyebrows and toes crossed. So. <laughs> And so we always like to ask this question to guests of um, how did you get into computing? What, what, what made you get into this crazy world of technology rather than getting a normal job in air quotes? 
<laughs> well, that's a boy. That's an interesting question. Uh, I, I would like to say that it was somewhat intentional, but I actually um, just got more and more interested in it when I was in graduate school. I'm actually uh, a little-known fact. I'm a state-certified librarian. Um, I actually got into technology through the information sciences field, and so. Um, I know we all take different routes here, but that was mine. And wow. as I was doing uh, graduate work, I was spending more and more time doing uh, uh, database design and database administration. And so when I got out of school, I um, started working on uh, building large relational databases uh, for uh, class action lawsuits. And then that turned into uh, that. Got, that was interesting for a while, but then I got into the whole dot com you know, thing and was doing that for a while and then uh, came to Microsoft in uh, 2005 and actually initially joined the product group um, around the 2007 release. So I had already been working on uh, SharePoint 2003 with uh, a bank that I was working with and really liked the product. And so when I had an opportunity to actually go and help build the product, I was like, too good to pass up. So, yeah, right. yeah. that's incredible. So, that, so you've, yeah. you've been in this SharePoint world for a long, long time. I have, I have, and in different places in Microsoft, you know, because I was, I started out in the product group, but then, you know, Jeremy, as you know, and Paul, you probably do too, there's, there's always organizational shifts in this company. So, like, one moment you're reporting to this part of the org, and the next minute you're somewhere else. So uh, I went through server and tools, went and did uh, tour of duty with IT, um, which was actually a lot of fun because that kept me sort of in the foreground of SharePoint, but also really uh, internally working with other uh, departments and users within Microsoft to figure out how to use the darn product. And, and that's where so, we first met, actually, is I did a consulting stint at MSIT. They had me working. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. Yes. In what yeah, is yeah. working with something that has now turned into site designs. So, uh, yes. A, a, excellent thing. <laughs> but, you know, we've, we've referenced it a few on our site designs. What, what does this really mean? Yeah. So site designs are, uh, uh, are I, I'm very excited about. It. I know you. Paul, I hope you are too, because it is, as you just mentioned, a bit of an evolution of uh, work that we started doing years ago. So in IT, you know, some one of the things that Paul and I were working on was actually just we built a lot of, uh, you know, gap solutions, you know, and white space solutions where the product doesn't quite fully fulfill a scenario. And one of those was I, we had a really powerful, you know, site templating model, but it also has its limitations. And, you know, we've, we've, you know, as you guys both know, um, SharePoint has seen its history of site provisioning, you know, both the experience and also the types of templates and web, you know, site definitions and things that you can do to programmatically create a site that has some, you know, preset configuration and set of pages and web parts and settings. And that's never just been really easy. And so site designs, I like to say, you know, the the one sentence thing is it's like the future of templating really for us, but it's not templates, you know, because the important thing to understand about site designs is it really borrows heavily, heavily from the concept uh, espoused by the PMP. For those of your listeners, the uh, patterns and practices community around SharePoint, they built this fantastic uh, site provisioning tool um, and the ability to sort of look at an existing pre-configured site and create a file 
that can then be uh, run, executed to sort of programmatically reconfigure another site with similar settings. And so that's really what site designs are. They're a scripting technology that gets executed on top of one of our site templates after the site's been created. And so the power there is, you know, Vesa and I, uh, Vesa Uvonen, we actually spoke at the uh, SharePoint 2016 conference and kind of threw SharePoint site templates under the bus, if you will, and just said, hey, these things don't work really well. And we know this, you guys have been telling us all the limitations for a long time. And the biggest one was once you create that uh, save site as template file, uh, it's, it's like a point in time snapshot. So then if any changes happen or if we make any changes to the product, uh, all those sites that were provisioned with that uh, WSP file are kind of stuck with whatever they were, were at the time uh, it was used. And so we wanted to address that problem. And so we, like I said, we borrowed, uh, were inspired, if you will, by the PMP model. So what we do is um, uh, we can continue to make changes to our modern templates, add new capabilities, new functionality, and then the site designs themselves, these scripts, we've designed them to be, um, uh, here's a fun uh, computing term, idempotent. So they can effectively be re-executed without harming whatever's been done there before, you know? And so we're not gonna go and, you know, rewrite or recreate a list if you already have created it before and started populating it with content. But if you add some changes to the column schema or to the views or the other list and library settings, we'll notice that and say, great, let's go ahead and add those changes. So we're giving you really a better update and upgrade story. And that is going to work a lot nicer with uh, the, you know, again, allowing people to build on top of our templates, but really define the right sets of uh, settings and configurations that they need for their sites and business process. So um, I think I said, shared this story in a previous podcast, but it's worth for, for the context of what you just talked about was uh, I was catching up with CJ at uh, the SharePoint Fest here in Seattle with uh, Andrew Connell, you know, the usual suspects. <laughs> and uh, CJ said when he went back to New Zealand for a vacation, he bumped into someone that he used to work as a customer at. Uh, he was consulting on this gig, and this was a while ago now, like in 2007 or something. And the guy was joking with CJ that he goes, they just finished a project where they finally got rid of the site template that CJ had designed in 2007 for that wow. customer. And the guy was like <laughs> celebrating getting rid of the site template. <laughs> so I think, you know, for people who have been in this space, they do realize, you know, it's been definitely been a journey with these, how you handle provisioning new sites in the first place, but then progressively or incrementally updating existing sites that are in the wild as you yeah. say especially when they've done customizations as an end user or as a power user that you know devs probably didn't think that they would have done when they first designed the site template sure but in terms of the pmp crossover how do you um how do you take what was already done in that world by the community build it as a product and then give like give it back is there like a did did Vesa have to take what the community provisioning stuff was and realign it with where you were going from a site design product feature? Mm, that's a good question. Um, we, so the short answer is yes and no. <laughs> well, we, we, like I said, we were inspired by the, uh, the, PMP provisioning engine, the work that Vesa and, you know, Irwin and, you know, all the rest of the community who have just done remarkable work there really around just evolving that experience and making it something functional that folks can use. Um, we didn't want to make something, though, that would 
well, two things. We didn't want to make something that was going to invalidate all that work and investment because there are a lot of customers and companies that have, you know, implemented uh, solutions using that platform. Um, and if we didn't have a great migration or grow up story or we couldn't provide functional parity, well, then that creates a bit of a, a disconnect there and doesn't really drive adoption in the way that we wanted to. And we also knew, you know, to be perfectly candid, uh, I'm not going to catch up with those guys. They've been working on this thing for years and years, you know, and I wanted to get something um you know, functional that folks could really start to use, uh, whether they were using PMP or not. So what we did was, um, when we, we, I did work very closely with VESA, and VESA was really instrumental in helping me identify what are some of the primary configurations that, um, that folks we're doing to sites and building into these uh, provisioning templates. So this might be a good point to uh, call out that a lot of times when I talk about site designs, you'll hear me also mention site scripts and site scripting. And it's important to understand that these two co uh, concepts go hand in hand. Uh, the site script, as you can imagine, is the script file itself. It's the thing that has all of the declarative instructions that say, do this to the site, create this list, activate this feature, um, register this uh, app uh, catalog solution. The site design is really just a container for referencing or calling those site scripts, and it's what gets surfaced to the user in the UI. Um, so when you go through the self-site provisioning flow on a tenant where you have configured a site design, you'll see that site design menu. And let's say you have, you know, site design A, B, and C. Site A, design A might be calling script one. Site uh, design B might be calling script one and script two. So you see you have some flexibility. You can even reuse site scripts. And so there's that kind of model. But <clears throat> what we really wanted to do is uh, when Vesa and I were identifying actions that we wanted to make sure were available, <clears throat> excuse me, there were some that we knew we could do easily and others that were going to take more time. So what I did was um, me and the team built a, uh, a way to leverage uh, Microsoft Flow as a means of calling out to existing uh, you know, PMP solutions uh, through Flow and through Azure. And that was like a nice backfill. It was a way to sort of allow folks to leverage existing solutions while still plugging into uh, the native uh, capability of the product. Um, so I guess the short answer to your question is really, it's not so much a replacement as we use it as an inspiration and recognizing that a lot of folks, you know, they may find that for the complexity of the solution they're trying to build, they need some combination of both. Or they might be like, wow, you know what? All I need to do is set up a library and a list and uh, set a theme on, on my sites. I can get all that, you know, with just the product itself. So it gives you that nice balance. Yeah, Go ahead, the, Paul. yeah. I want to chime in a little bit, right? So part of what I find the value in this site design, site script approach is that not every Office 365 customer has an Azure subscription or a, or a developer who can go in and set up the PNP provisioning engine sure. while it's very full featured. I've heard many people say, why can't Microsoft do this for me? Why do I have to go and make this additional investment just to create sites that match what I want, especially when I had it before? Well, they think they had it before with the save site as templates. So in that context, it's certainly 
uh, uh, helpful that, to getting that. And then um, the other thing I, uh, that we've swung the pendulum the other way when talking to developers, it's not a script like you would expect JavaScript to be, right? So, I, uh, which That's is right. just really right. getting semantics on the words. But uh, you could say it's more like a script like an actor would get. It's a list of instructions that you're supposed to do and, and go and do that. So I certainly think that that's great. But uh, your your approach of calling flow obviously solves the big gap. But do you do you have any insight as to how much that's happening? Are, are most people happy with the out-of-the-box actions you have? Or do you see a lot of further customization still going on? Yeah, great question. Um I want to say, uh, yes, we are measuring this. One of the things that's, uh, you know, been interesting in certainly my tenure at Microsoft as a, a PM is how the role has changed, you know, and certainly in the last couple of years within the OneDrive SharePoint team, you know, we've become more uh, product managers in alignment with the rest of the industry and the cultural shift within the organization has really been around let's build features that are really responding to what customers need and then measuring them so that we can make sure that we understand how they're being used so back to your question um Absolutely. Uh, customers are still using both. I think since the adoption of this is a little bit more of a longer tail because right now we don't have a really rich UX for the creation of these scripts. It does require uh, someone with a little bit more dev chops, a citizen developer at least, to build these site scripts, which are, in, to your point, uh, they are not JavaScript. They are actually JSON files uh, with these declarative instructions. Um, some customers uh, we've talked to and uh, some of the MVPs and folks that are using the site designs and site scripts, they've been very happy with just the initial set of actions. We have, um, we've been, ever since we announced this at the uh, Ignite 2017 conference, and then we released it at the beginning of the year, um, we have been continuing to sort of build out the infrastructure, but more importantly, keep adding more and more site scripts as uh, we either have APIs available or um, we have uh, strong enough interest to know, hey, this is a valuable action that we should be banking available. So we have uh, well over 20, almost 30 um, uh, actions available now. And a lot of folks for some complex solutions, either because they were pre-existing or they need to do some uh, things with pages, they have uh, continued to use, uh, you know, the PMP model or, the, you know, that path. Um, that's actually probably one of the biggest deficits we have right now that uh, customers are waiting for is better um, uh, uh, content type support for certain uh, columns like manage metadata, which we are still working through what the best mechanism to deliver that capability is. And then we're also working with our publishing team that we're making a lot of changes to the underlying uh, pages API. So we have a new uh, page canvas, lots of new client side web parts that go on that canvas. Uh, the trick we have right now is building a nice um, set of actions that will allow you to create these modern pages, provision the right web parts in the right with the right properties and then instantiate that through the scripting uh, model um, we're hoping to have something uh, uh, that meets uh, a majority of folks needs in the next couple of months but that's definitely the one that's been the one that people are asking for that uh, it's been harder to deliver and probably to your question still drives people to have to use you know, some complementary tech uh, to deliver yeah, a full solution. Uh, but, uh, sorry to interrupt, Jeremy, but just as a follow-up, I, I do want to say I, I noticed that you yeah, had uh, a, a summer update came out 
uh, not too long ago. And then it just uh, at the time we're recording yeah. this on the 10th of September, there, the format view for lists was announced by Chris McNulty. And shortly thereafter, a tweet from Sean that says, hey, we support this as part of the site designs as well. So so it's great. <laughs> but my point is, it's great to see, you know, you're in tune with what's happening. Obviously, SharePoint is SharePoint. And you guys are working together to get the stuff supported as it rolls out. So anyone who's hesitant truly shouldn't be yeah. because what you need is probably on its way or, or it's not something unknown that you'd have to be off on your own. Right. Absolutely. No, we uh, I would like to say and maybe take this chance to say uh, uh, the the community of users and community of devs who have been they've just been fantastic, you know, in terms of just, you know, uh, giving us the great best feedback and, you know, telling us what they're trying to do and giving us great use cases and really helping us prioritize that backlog, if you will. We would like to think that uh, uh, we are listening to them and to, you know, to your listeners and um, really responding and trying to give them the solutions that they, you know, the capabilities that they need to fulfill uh, their, the work that they're trying to do as quickly as we can. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a wonderful partnership. And so when they're calling the flows to do things that maybe the out of the box site scripting cannot do, are they typically just calling SharePoint APIs or the graph to kind of do things that you haven't got to yet? Or are they triggering off PNP PowerShell commandlets through Azure functions or like what's those scenarios for the extensibility that can get people out of trouble if it's not there right now? I don't know, man. Ask Bessa. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, all the above, all the above for sure. I've uh, I've talked to a couple of people and got some great feedback through, uh, you know, the community calls and also on Twitter that uh, a lot of the solutions. Um, as I think I mentioned, that they might have an existing solution. And so the the trigger flow is really basic in the sense of how mm -hmm. it might just be doing something where, it, you know, what we do is we have like, we can pass in through a flow that a site has been created and add a message to the queue. And then an Azure function, you know, then, you know, Azure can go pick that up and go and execute some function that is a PMP solution. And so if folks already had a PMP solution, rather even if it some of it might be able to be built natively in the product, maybe they just haven't done that transition yet. Um, other folks are just probably doing some more complicated things. Uh, I think the the one that most folks are doing, because um, even Vesa and I have built solutions like this to demonstrate um, at conferences, uh, is just going and replacing the the homepage of an out-of-box site template for like a comm site or a group t connected team site. Um, it's just much easier right now to do that with uh, the PMP. But I will say this, Erwin and uh, the rest of the team have been really responsive too about uh, they reflect in the PMP uh, PowerShell schema um, a lot of the same uh, uh, commandlets that we're publishing. So users who are more comfortable working in that model, they can continue to do so and still leverage a lot of our stuff. So, and then the APIs that you surface are they yeah. on the SharePoint REST API, or because I know Jeremy Kelly has been work, I've been working closely with him from a SharePoint graph perspective, but there are mm -hmm. their plans to kind of get those things there on the graph as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. So as you, you probably know a lot uh, more than I do about some of those uh, nuances, but uh, and what that roadmap is looking like, but we're very much uh, invested in taking advantage. Really everything that we do when we build an action is we're building off an existing API. So if somebody says, hey, it'd be really awesome if there was a scripting capability to um, uh, go and do the following, uh, we usually are looking to see if there's an API to do that first. And yes, a lot of the REST APIs are already there. Um, there's some that are obviously evolving and some that are moving to graph. And so that's those are ones that uh, we're staying in touch with uh, Jeremy and the rest of uh, Ed's team to make sure that we're in alignment there and taking advantage of what's available. Some of the other ones, uh, I think we're just kind of working through. I think I mentioned to you guys uh, uh, earlier offline is that uh, we're really interested in pursuing some use cases where uh, let's take a group connected team site. What is connected to that team site or to that group rather? In addition to the site, you've got a plan, you've got um, um, uh, a Power BI workspace, you've got a team eventually. So it'd be really cool. We've been actually talking with some of our other workloads and partners to say, hey, wouldn't it be neat if when I, you know, execute that site design that uh, today it's just configuring certain aspects of the SharePoint site, but what if it were to also configure aspects of the plan or aspects of the uh, team in terms of setting up channels or adding classification and, you know, category buckets for uh, managing your tasks. And and all that seem, is very much in the realm of possibility. A lot of those guys have already built APIs on graph. So we're looking at ways to take advantage of um, being able to talk to that through the client. And that might add a little bit of delay in the actual uh, execution of those commands, but still very feasible to do and something we're talking with them about. So excited about that. Um, yeah, I think awesome. that there's yeah, so I think that there's some really cool use cases where we can really start to leverage this because that actually reminds me that's another area that customers are really keen on that I'll call attention to is um, when you provision uh, site designs in your tenant, one of the first use cases we um, uh, enabled was uh, lighting up those site designs uh, through the self-service site creation. So back in 2016, I worked uh, a lot with uh, the infrastructure team to rebuild the site provisioning flow, uh, with, you know, which really was involved uh, fast site creation, bringing that creation experience down from you know many, many seconds, tens of seconds to minutes down to seconds. And so uh, very proud of that work. And you know, along with the new UX, we really wanted to enable folks to be able to continue to take advantage of that even as we started giving them these extensibility options. And so we wanted to surface the site designs in that UX. Um, when you do that, uh, that works fantastic if you're creating a site from SharePoint. So let's again say you're creating a group connected team site. You go through SharePoint, you pick site design you know, three and all that goodness happens. However, if you go to a plan and create a new plan or you go to teams and create a new team, you're doing the same thing. You're creating a site, you're creating a group, you're creating all those connected workloads. But unfortunately, you don't get that site design picker over there. So we, um, we've heard that uh, feedback loud and clear and we're actually working with the partners to at least enable those, you know, that, that menu of site designs to show up in those other places, which I think will be super powerful uh, to provide no matter what entry point you come in, you'll have the same customizations available to your end users. Uh, I will use this time to say, don't forget 
uh, to your listeners that if you have really simple site design needs and you're not doing a lot of complex stuff, maybe you just have one site design for that Groove Connected team site template, we do have a parameter that allows you to set it as the default, which means that anytime you create a default team site or a default comm site, that site design just gets executed. It doesn't show up in the UI, but here's the trick with that one. Even if you go and create a site from Teams, Plan, Planner, you know, Workspace, Power BI or whatever, um, that site that gets created, it's calling the same group manager API and so that same site design will run. So for folks who just have like one site design on that template, they can kind of work around that limitation right now, but we totally recognize that limitation and want to make sure we're lighting that up for folks That's in the future. That's excellent stuff to hear. But one thing that we've kind of missed talking about, uh, my apologies for getting so excited earlier, but uh, how, how do I create these things? <laughs> you, you mentioned there's no design experience at the moment, but I, I assume I can or kind of capture an existing site and or what do I do uh, to, to further build what I need? Yeah, no, great question, Paul. So, uh, uh, correct. We do not have uh, a, a beautiful studio or, uh, you know, the thing that you and I worked on from years ago, where it's like we would essentially just, you know, be able to kind of do what the PMP provisioning engine really evolved to, which is, hey, I have an existing canonical site. I want to be able to essentially read that and uh, build a file from those uh, differences, those settings. And uh, that is a model that we are moving towards. I'm happy to say I'll have some very cool news uh, to share at Ignite and even some uh, early preview of stuff that we'll be releasing uh, soon after Ignite um, that will kind of facilitate that. But the way that folks can create site designs today um, is really you have to build that JSON file. And, and unfortunately, uh, for those of you, your listeners, we all know that building JSON files from scratch is not a very fun exercise because you get, you know, one bracket or closing parentheses <laughs> wrong and, you know, you know, there it goes. So um, one of the things that we have done, my apologies, my coffee machine is going to sleep in the background. <laughs> all right, all done. Um, one of the things that we have done is uh, the community again has stepped up. Um, I know that there's some fantastic tools out there that have been built to sort of facilitate the creation of these uh, site scripts. Um, we've also uh, provided a ton of examples out on GitHub. Uh, there's a GitHub repo that uh, we can, do you guys have show notes? We can put like that yeah, resource totally, in the show yeah. notes um, where we have, I believe, well over a dozen different samples of, uh, you know, code that you can see. Uh, there's site script samples for doing all the various actions and they provide a real great primer to kind of get your folks started. We've also got some tutorials out on uh, uh, with along with the uh, feature documentation to get people started. But I think really where I want to get to is I want to facilitate um, that model where kind of like how save site as template used to work in the past where, you know, you can kind of push a button. I'll tell you what will be different, though. Save site as template was a bit opaque. You know, you kind of push that button. You got a wispy file and you had no idea what was in there unless you were curious and cracked it open. And you had no idea what actually what it did. And as some folks would turn out, uh, as some folks would discover those, uh, there were some things that they thought would be configured or made available in that file that weren't. So how we're kind of flipping that model of is we're going to very much make the creation of these things a bit more intentional, a little bit more explicit. So imagine an experience where I want to create a site script. I've got some, you know, stuff configured. I want to be able to um, 
when I create that site script, we're going to have you tell us what pieces of that site you actually want to go into that file. So we want that experience to be a little bit more transparent, uh, you know, so that when you know what you're getting on the other side. And Wait, then when so you, we won't yeah. have to remember like those really I, – I can actually – type them in still the specific <laughs> list GUID IDs that shortcutted having to remember that horrible <laughs> list scheme XML that was 15,000 lines of code. Yeah. Let's not do that again. Yeah, but then yeah. you get folks who've been around forever, you know, like me and say, well, we've written all this feature XML. Can't we just reuse it? Right. So someone's going to be grouching yeah, yeah, no matter yeah, what. I, but I, uh, yeah, from my perspective, awesome. though, this is a great approach. I mean, as you said before, these, this is a JSON file and, and, the folks who are poking around in the internet these days have seen these files and it's not it's not as uh opaque and arcane as it was back in the day so it, while I, I don't think it's a big barrier to right. entry so i'm happy with where it's personally i'm happy from how it, how it's worked out so far Good. it's also Good. great to, to see that. the different engineering teams kind of you know not try and tackle the whole provisioning thing separately I mean, yeah. Microsoft of 10 years ago would have totally been doing the, no, we're going to do it differently and this is the way we're going to do things. So having kind of the work that you've been working on snap into those other groups type objects will be super useful. Again, you kind of learn it once. You don't have to relearn a whole different way of doing things to get some of the other bits and pieces working as well. So that's that's good news as well. Absolutely. Now, because you've yeah. been in SharePoint for so long, um, and I always am interested with the different people that have been there for so long in terms of kind of what are they most proud of that they've worked on for a feature. And you've mentioned a few things as you've kind of gone through the interview, mm -hmm. but like if you could pin one thing, like if you're on a SharePoint conference and, you know, you had like 15 seconds in a video snippet in the beginning of a keynote to say, hi, I'm a PM and I've worked on this damn stuff for over 10 years and this is my favorite thing. Like what would it be? My favorite thing? The thing I'm maybe maybe right now. least least proud <laughs> least proud maybe even more interesting. Oh, the least proud. Well, I've had the privilege of working on I think some pretty cool stuff to be honest with you. I uh, when I came back to the team in 2015, I was even I, I did a stint even with the infrastructure team and worked on you know the release you know process you know the trains of how we push flights out and mm -hmm. what that change management process was and boy man I, I, we 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 can get better at that but uh, you know we did some good work there to really get that you know buttoned up so that we could uh move stuff out to customers in a more uh you know understandable and reliable fashion i mean we're not at a point now where i can say hey paul feature x is going to land on your tenant on september 11th at 10 a.m but you know we're that process is getting better you know and then when i came back to the experiences team i got to work on lists and libraries i built the view you know model and uh you know also got to work on site navigation but honestly the thing i'm working on right now i mean i think the whole space around making it you know I'm in I really want people to turn on admins to turn on self-service site creation. I think, you know, sites are just one of the core components of SharePoint that just makes it such a powerful, you know, mm -hmm. product for enterprises and um you know, we want to make sure that we're giving people the right uh, settings and the right configurations and administration and governance so that they can reliably and confidently turn it on and really, uh, you know, then take advantage of all the capabilities that we're building into the modern SharePoint experience. I think if you were to ask any PM in this hall or these hallways, um, 
you know, what we're proud of. I think the journey we've all been on the last couple of years around modernizing the SharePoint platform has just been awesome, you know, and not only to have the opportunity to do it, but then to also see the reception where people are like, oh, thank goodness, SharePoint isn't dead. And in fact, it's <laughs> back and better than ever, you know, and yeah, that's, true. that's that's something that I think a lot of us would hang our hat on. It feels pretty good. So Yeah, it's almost becoming, well, I think it has become okay now to say, oh, I've done SharePoint in my career for, you know, 10 years is for me from a consultant perspective and then um, as a dev aspect and funny enough one thing I've just done in the team here is um, we have a lot of PMs across different products within Microsoft that are on the graph and having that complex contacts list of who is the PM who is the tech writer who's the on-call email for each of the different workloads on the graph and um, spun that up as a SharePoint list that was originally an Excel list. Because <laughs> like, wow, I can have alerts when these things change and I can do grouping and sorting and searching on these things. Like, there you go, it's a custom list in SharePoint. <laughs> I mean, it's done that for uh, 2003. Come on, man, you've been able to do it for a while, but, you, but it's easier now, right? And right, it's, more it's super intuitive. easy. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's the thing that really resonates with, uh, you know, those of us who have been like in the SharePoint space for a while, we like, I sometimes think that it's important to get that perspective because, you know, we can look at stuff and go, oh, you know, I kind of just intuitively know how that works because I, I know how to work around that or I know what the trick is or whatever. <laughs> you know, and, the URL to put in the top. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and we should not, I, I don't want people to, I want to be able to give it, to give this to my wife and have her be able to configure a site and not get lost, you know? So um, I think making that experience easier, easier, more intuitive and just more, Oh, this is in line with a lot of the other consumer products that are out there. I think is uh, it's a great thing. Uh, I agree. I totally agree. And I want to think this is this has been great. Uh, I personally am looking forward to what's coming next. The as you mentioned, you're doing a talk at, at Ignite, so I would encourage everyone to, who's going to be Ignite to find your session, and mm-hmm. we'll post a link to it in our show notes as well. And again, Sean, thanks. I, oh, thanks. I, I do want to close and say, I we, you know, we worked together on provisioning a long time ago, and uh, all the. All, all the things that people fun, care yeah. about, you know. So uh, for those who are are out in the space, the the, the product's in good hands. I, I think we're we're going to get a great solution here. And and I'll echo Jeremy's thoughts about working with PNP and the community has been very very uh, satisfying. And thanks from a community member, I want to say thanks a lot. Yeah, actually, just to, yeah. yeah, just a tip yeah. to my hat too. Actually, um, there's a lot of PMs that aren't as good as in, at engaging in the community. And knowing like who's blogging and who's writing about stuff on their product, but um, I specifically remember going to an MVP um, summit where you're at, and you came up and introduced yourself to me, and said thanks for your contributions. And as someone that was in the community blogging for years and years, like it kind of that wasn't a normal thing for a PM to know who's who out there in the wild. So um, you're definitely one of the good ones in terms of kind of having that connection and really listening to people out there. So. A big oh, thanks, thanks because I, Appreciate I don't think SharePoint would be where it is today without you kind of voicing what goes on on the outside. And I'm totally jealous That's of cool. your sexy radio voice yeah, too. No, so. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> We're working on Paul's excitement in the podcast show. <laughs> you sound pretty good, man. I like it. I like it. Uh, it's been <laughs> great you having you. Thanks a lot, Sean. Really appreciate it. I know it's been hard to carve out time, so really appreciate you doing it. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for the time. And, uh, you know, again, uh, let your listeners know that, uh, um, yeah, we're, we're thank, grateful for the feedback. And if they have any questions, reach out to us. Um, 
I'll, we'll put my Twitter handle even in the show notes so that people can reach out to me. But uh, yeah, thank you for the opportunity and the time. Pleasure talking to you guys. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 